and they get to choose what they pay me uh, at the end of the project. And, and rather than taking deposits, uh, I'm, I'm not taking deposits unless it's a project that's over like $5,000. Um, you know, I just want to want to trust. And, and the beautiful thing that's happened since that is, first off, people have really resonated with it and getting a lot more clients. Um, and the other beautiful thing is that people are choosing to pay the higher rate the majority of the time, which is really cool because before that, my rate was at 95 an hour. And so I just kind of bumped it up a little bit to just offset offset that a little bit um and yeah people have, have stepped into it they're obviously you know impressed with the work that i'm doing impressed with the quality of the work and the best thing about this is rather than worrying about you know oh worrying about not having enough time to do the best job i want to get that higher rate or ideally get that higher rate so i'm putting in my best effort on every single project this is Way of the Artist with Brandon Colby Cook and Evan Schulte. Identifying your blocks and demystifying your struggles so that you can claim your own path and make your life a work of art. Welcome, 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 everybody, to Way of the Artist podcast once again. This is Evan. Brandon's on the other end. And uh, we've also got a fantastic guest who, I mean, I don't even know where we're going to go because uh, the guest that we have on has such an incredible list of experience um, and experiences and passions and interests um, that I think is going to provide for some pretty good uh, substance for us to, to dig into. So I'm really excited to have this guest. Let me just give you the rundown on him. So Gabriel McKay is a Sunshine Coast-based website developer and digital marketer who focuses on making website and digital marketing services accessible to value-aligned organizations all across Canada. He works off of a flexible pricing model that allows his clients to choose the hourly weight they pay him and will work with people even if they have no budget at all. He's also an avid D&D campaign storyteller, just a fun fact, a former theatrical scriptwriter and actor, and a lover of community-centric organizations and causes. And that that the, in in addition to those things, I'm just going to throw some more because like that's just some of the stuff that that Gabriel just threw at us as far as like hey like a little bit about him. Um, but another thing about Gabriel is like he's he's worked with uh, as an organizer for one of the biggest electronic music festivals in the world, Shambhala. Uh, he's also been part of a group called the Catterday Crew. The, is that correct, Gabriel? The Catterday right. Crew? Catterday Crew, yeah. Like Saturday, yeah. but with cats. Yeah, and it's like a, an electronic, like it's about music and bring artists together and like, well, I, I mean, we can dive into so much stuff. So um, I'm going to stop talking for a second. Gabriel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate uh, you inviting me on. Well, it's uh, it's terrific to have you here. And uh, so with all of the things that, you know, you do and have done and all of that, and I was kind of going through, uh, you know, your 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 company that you do through your your marketing, uh, as well as um, 
Catterday Crew, uh, and also I didn't even mention like the um, West Coast Hugs. I think was another <laughs> group that you were you were part of, and it was and and as well as with like your your pricing model and looking across the the things that you have been involved with and the way that you run your business there's there's something connected about all of those things there was something that i i was looking at i was like there's some sort of unifying thread and i could probably you know speculate and throw some of my own ideas as to what those are but i would rather hear from you what of all these things that you have done and and pursued in your life what is the thing that connects all of these things that you've been involved with totally that's a wonderful question um and as as you were pondering it and posing it in such an eloquent way you gave me such a, such a wonderful amount of time to really like think about it so thank you for that first off that was wonderful <laughs> um so what brings it all together i feel like it is my life mission so i i realized at about 19 years old that my life mission it was a simple one it was open-ended uh but it it works for me and that life mission is to positively affect as many people as i can during my time on this planet um and you know like i said open-ended because you never know when you're going to be done so you know you can strive high in the moment and also be happy because you've completed so much um so you know does it sound like that summarizes all those things together maybe maybe not but uh, it's for me that feels like the unifying thread you know trying trying to help people trying to change the world trying to and i know we all we all try and do it right but it's uh it's, it's just been something that's been at the forefront of my mind for for as long as i can remember my adult life and that's that's awesome how did you go from like one thing to the next like how did your journey I kind of want to know how your journey evolved. Like, how did you find one thing and then your way into the next? Like, where did it start and 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 how did you end up here? Can you take us through a bit of a... For sure. Okay. Uh, I feel like I need to start with my high school drama teacher, um, you know, grade eight. And I'll skip. I'm not just going to take you through my entire life story, but let's just skip over some things. Uh, in drama in grade eight, uh, I remember being this kind of closed off kid, uh, you know, being bullied a little bit in elementary school. Um, and then came into grade eight and this teacher just supported me in such a large way and encouraged me to, to go out and, you know, to, to step into the role, uh, you know, to step into these roles and really, you know, express myself, uh, which gave me this outlet to express myself outside of that. Um, and she was just this like firecracker of a lady, you know, red hair, her car was like a custom art project that she had put together with like all these figurines glued all over it and custom painted and like, you know, just straight out of the seventies with, with, with the bells and whistles on it, you know? Um, and she, she really like, stepped me up into the challenge and i feel like she played a, a good role in, in you know establishing where i wanted to go um that and you know i'd say my, my parents raised me my dad raised me with lots of love that, that helped too but um anyways jumping from that it just kind of you know I, I i went through jobs i did my best to you know you know spread that that love that energy that friendliness uh, to everyone that i met um, but then just kind of realized as I was going on, like I, I wanted to, I wanted to do something more. I wanted to do something more than just have a job. I wanted to 
to, to craft my own life, life journey and decide what I wanted to spend my energy on. Um, and so I started my business as they say, that's the next milestone. I started my business at like 19 or 20 years old. I had worked for a guy for like two years, started out at $8 an hour doing website development. And he taught me a lot, but uh, no shade to him, but the, the clients that he was working for, there was a lot of oil and gas clients and I really didn't feel value aligned to that. And so I, I'm like, you know, let's just start my own thing. Um, so that's, that's like how I basically got the ability to um, define my own time and what, what I was going to spend time on, you know, just having a bit more flexible schedule rather than the traditional nine to five allowed me to do the things I really enjoyed doing. If I wanted to take a break in the middle of the day and try this new thing, I'd go and do it, you know, and I, um, and that kind of led to Shambhala, which is, you know, five years later, my business journey and thinking I had to play this role of the business professional, um, you know, wearing a mask almost, you might even say, um, and realizing at Shambhala that I could take that mask off and just be myself, seeing other people being accepted as themselves and being their silly, crazy selves allowed me to just, okay, cool. I'm going to take off my mask and see if anyone runs away screaming. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's not like I was hiding my true self, but I was also trying to portray this like more professional person and just really, you know, not let my weird goofy self out. And as soon as I started letting my weird goofy self out and, you know, shined per se as my authentic self uh the amount of feedback positive feedback from friends people i met just encouraged me that i was on the right path so i feel like i've gone a little bit longer than i expected to go on that but anyways that's that's like how it kind of started let's say oh that's great i mean what a couple of like key points i, I love hearing people's stories how they how they get where they're you know where they are because there's like these key things and i, I always try to make a note of them like one is you're working in the situation and you decided like it doesn't align with your values and you let your values help you make a decision, which I think was like, it's such a key moment in somebody's journey to, to let your values actually be more important than security or the safe road or all this other stuff. Cause they don't always align. And then um, the other thing that really kind of landed with me too, was the mask thing. I, I, I totally relate to that. I think there's, I think we're all a little bit, afraid, you know, to let down this image of who we think we need to be or what we think we need to be accepted. And, um, but I think that is, that's kind of it. It's like, once you found that sense of authenticity, I mean, the world does open up. It's, and I think we understand that, but like doing it is sometimes a lot harder for some of us, you know, like, um, I know I, I was bullied in high school too. And, and, trying to let down my guard in my twenties was such a difficult thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, no, I appreciate you sharing that because it's nice to see, you know, how you got to where you were and, and what kind of happened. So thanks for that. Yeah, no worries. Again, just skipping broadly over some areas that I felt sure. might be, you know, uh, following along your, your question path, you know, but I'm sure there's tons of other things that helped define me to, to who I am. But uh, those were those were some key moments for sure. Yeah, I was going to say there was probably a lot of things that happened in between there. And and, you know, it's always it's always a beautiful thing to also hear about, you know, someone who came in like this high school you know, drama teacher who comes in and, you know, these people who, who can come into our lives and just, they, they can have such an effect on us. Um, 
you know, that, that, that lasts for such a long time. Like the fact that you are, you know, to this day, you're talking about, I don't know how many years later, I won't make you out your age, but. <laughs> it's cool. I'm, I'm 35. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but like all these years later, you know, basically half your life later, <laughs> I'm something like that. Right. Um, this person is still, you know, has the, there's, there's echoes of, 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 the things that they said to you and the things that they in, instilled in you that, um, that carry. Mm -hmm. I feel like teachers are just the most important, you know, uh, not no, the most important, but let's just say like really high up there in terms of like important roles in society, you know, and it's, it's something that I, um, associate with as well. Like I love to be a teacher. That's part of what, why I do this job as well. Cause I get to teach people, how to do their marketing, how to do their websites, how to, you know, interact with technology, the, the, the overview. Okay. Here, here's how you do proper, like password security and making sure you're not exposing yourself to scams and this sort of stuff, just like helping people not get caught up into the, the bullshit. I don't know if I can say that on here, the bullshit yep. of the 21st century. Oh, you know? <laughs> okay, cool. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I love that, that teacher, teacher role. And I think they're, they're severely undervalued in today's society, but you know, anyone who's had a great teacher can resonate with the fact that like they make such a big difference. Yeah, it's definitely true. I, yeah. I can think of teachers that have changed my life and it's part of the reason why I've, you know, kind of dedicated part of my life to, to teaching because I, I think, I think people who really appreciate teaching actually whether they know it or not, they kind of end up becoming like mentors to others because they know what it's like to need that. They know what it's like to not have that, you know, um, those things are really important, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, you know, something I find really interesting about the festival world is that it is in my experiences, at least of them, it's, it's like another world, you know, like, it's like people just decide I'm going to put down my guard. And I find this with a lot of people that have been friends since I've done festivals and we've maintained our friendship. Um, but they take down, they kind of do take down their walls. They take down their masks. They open up, you bond with people in a new way. And it's like, you might be hanging out with someone for three, four days. And it's like, that was a lifetime. And I have festival experiences with people uh, one of my best friends, you know, and we had like a lifetime in that festival. And it's mm -hmm. like, when we refer to it, it was almost like one year of our friendship was in like four days. Why, why do you think that is? And, and why do you think you were able to take down your mask? And, and what do you think? Um, and watched a couple documentaries about it. And it, it, like it, a lot of the ideas really resonated with me. So I think one of the main reasons why you can develop such a strong bond with someone at a festival is vulnerability, being in a state, a state of vulnerability. Um, so first off, you know, you go to a festival, a lot of the times you're not getting a lot of sleep. Um, some people end up using, you know, narcotics or drugs or something like that, which also makes them not have sleep. Uh, you know, you're listening to loud music, you're sometimes dehydrated, you're pushing your body to the limits by dancing a lot more. You're ending up being super tired. Um, so by doing that, you're putting your body into a vulnerable state. Um, and you kind of, I think it's a culture thing, but you know, as, as by, by doing that, you're also giving other people the ability to step into that role of like helping a vulnerable person. You see someone who's like, Oh man, you need some water. 
you can step into that role really easily because you can really easily spot the person who's like really needs that water, you know, or, or maybe it's like limping home because they hurt their foot while dancing. You're like, Hey, look, can I, can I help you help you along here? Um, so I think vulnerability is really important. The other thing is like temporary community. Um, so when you go to a festival and you camp, at least like a camping festival, multiple day festival, um, you create a temporary community that you, you know, even if you don't know these people, you don't live with them normally, you have to live with them for a while and kind of make sure that you're all okay. You know, you're all not getting on each other's nerves, that everyone's being respectful. That's, you know, um, and if people aren't, then, you know, they're, maybe they're not part of your community. You feel like you're instantly able to make that, uh, that, that dedication or that, that mindset of, okay, these are my people. These are the people that took care of me when I was super vulnerable that, you know, camped with me and that went out and partied with me. And they, they were, they were there for me in that moment when I was really vulnerable. And that creates a bond, you know, just like when you're a child, you're in such a vulnerable state and your bond becomes with the person who's taking care of you. Right. So that's, that's my thought on, on that first one. Um, I don't remember what the second question was though. Um, well, I, I like, I, I mean, actually I kind of forget now to give you Evan remembers, but I, I love that. That's so true. I mean, there's like that, that's like a transcendent kind of lesson, this vulnerability thing, you know, it's, I, I always wonder when I leave a festival, how do I take what I've learned here with me? Okay. So that, that's, that's like my second year at Shambhala for you. There's like a story in there. So I'm sitting with this group of people. Um, on this net type structure, right? Waited for maybe 10 to 12 people. And we're sitting there playing this made up game that we made with a beach ball. And anyways, it was a lot of fun. And we're just talking to each other like, oh, you know, Shambhala is so great. Like, uh, I wish there was a way that I could take it home with me. You know, maybe, maybe that's what the secret of Shambhala is. Someone said that. And all of a sudden this wizened old lady, probably in her 50s, 60s comes up and she's just like, you guys hit it. This is, you hit the nail on the head. That's what Shambhala is about. It's all about taking something that you, you appreciate at the festival and bringing it back home with you, you know, and bring it back to your own community and, and spreading that light, spreading that, that energy there, you know, whatever you appreciated about the festival here, you know, maybe you don't go back and, and start doing drugs all the time. That's not necessarily a good idea, but go back and, you know, for me, it was, it was hugs. I, I realized that, you know, I, I appreciated the hugs at the festival. There was lots of hugs happening. And, you know, this is before I did research into like the benefits of hugs and all that sort of stuff. But I, I, I kind of looked into it. I'm like, oh, I would like to spread more hugs. So I start researching hugs and the beneficial benefits, scientifically proven benefits behind them. Like, did you know that if you hug someone consensually for more than six seconds, it triggers an oxytocin release in both you and the other person, as long as the hug is consensual on both parties. Uh, and you just breathe and, and, and relax into it. It allows you to re relax. And oxytocin is the same drug that's uh, released in both mother and child after mother gives birth. And it's a way for creating bond where there was no bond before. So it's a natural way to be able to connect with your fellow human being and break down those barriers and bring you to the same level of like, oh, relaxation and get rid of your stress. And, um, you know, and th that's why I kind of, that was my goal is take that home with me. And that's how the West Coast Hug Emporium was born. Amazing. Well, you literally are an example of it. That's that's incredible. Yeah, you reminded, the question. You reminded me of one other thing, and I, uh, I I know you probably want to get in a couple questions here, Evan, but there's another thing that was really cool about vessels is when you started to find your crew, like these people, random people you're just meeting as you're going along, and they just you just they slowly become this family you have. 
But mm-hmm. I remember being at the grounds and you'd run into somebody who is a part of your kind of tribe in a sense, you know, if you want to call it that, you'd just be so excited. It was always like, wow, we like, I mean, the chances of you running together are probably a lot higher than you realize, but just the fact that you crossed paths and it was just, you felt so excited to see each other. And just like, even if you were just passing and they were going that way and you're going this way, and sometimes you join and sometimes you just keep going. But um, that was one of those things. It's like when you see somebody in the real world, you know, that you love or care about or like, it's like meet, greet them with excitement, greet them with uh, I'm so happy to see you, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the, how good that feels, you know, because I feel there's so much, um, well, previous to that, there's just so much like, oh, hey, you know, whatever. You kind of downplay it, even though you might actually be happy to see them. Um, yeah. yeah, totally. And I mean, even even in like modern day society in, in a big city, you know, like Vancouver, which is where I grew up, you, you'd be walking down the street. And how often would you actually like stare at someone and or like, you know, catch eyes with someone and do more than just like awkwardly look away? You know, like right. that's we we have such limited opportunities for connection. And so you know, when you see someone, you should be taking full advantage of it. Celebrate, celebrate the fact that you're running into another human who's open to that. You know, like one of my favorite things, it even just happened yesterday, when you run into another human who's open for those types of silly interactions, you know, it doesn't need to be just at the festival, but, you know, just if you run into someone and they're like, you know, oh, make a joke. And then like most people would just leave that joke and be like, ha ha ha. And then when the person like makes a joke back, and then make you know, like you get more silly and you're kind of like just letting it happen and flowing. And next thing you know, it's like this lady told, told me her dog was going to steal my beer at the beach. And, you know, that was just the culmination of us joking. And she's like, oh, no, usually he steals the beer. Like, anyways, it's that's a total random <laughs> tangent. But like I, I totally, uh, you know, know that feeling of, hmm. you know, running into your your friends, you know, at, at the festival. And these days, you know, or before COVID, at least when I'm working at the festivals, I'd be working 12 hour days and, you know, um, just walking around with a walkie talkie on constantly and still going and doing my thing. But, uh, you, you run into people and you still want to like, want to say hi to them, especially when you're working you're like, okay, no quick hug, like give you a hug. and like, ah, I gotta keep going. I gotta keep working, but yeah, it's so good to see you. I love you so much, you know? But you take the time, you take take the time, time, even though you're busy, you take that, even if it's such a brief moment, it's, it's, it's amazingly impactful, you know, Mm -hmm. totally. I have a few things that I want to get into, uh, but since we're, we're kind of on the festival subject, maybe we'll start there. Um, first, like what, when we first met you, you, you described in some general terms, what. Um, what your role was um, as as an organizer um, at Shambhala, it was a really cool, fascinating thing to me that you said that you were involved with. I would love for you to just tell everybody um, about like what your role was with the festival. Okay. So is sorry. Yeah. Was yeah, is. <laughs> uh, so my first year I was just an attendee. Second year also an attendee. Um, but my second year, I, I heard about this team called the Shambassadors. Um, and they were basically supposed to go around and be like walking, talking info booths, you know, just giving information to people, making sure they were they were acquainted with what's going on and generally welcome, welcoming people, you know, being the welcome wagon. Uh, and so I applied to volunteer on that team for my third year. Um, and they accepted me on. And instantly I knew this is this is for me. Like you're basically going around and hyping people up you're getting them stoked, you're welcoming them, you're being friendly, you know, you're 
dealing with people who are having psychedelic crises sometimes and just like being there for them and giving them a hug if they need or just giving them the space, directing them to water, directing them to, you know, again, lots of vulnerable people. And your job as a sham ambassador is to help those vulnerable people and also inspire the community. Like the number one role of a sham ambassador is to be a role model, right? Like is to be a role model for the attendees to see what an ideal citizen of Shambhala is, um, a citizen of the festival, which is, which helps define the culture of the festival, right? The way people act at the festival is what defines the culture. So the ambassadors are there to be the perpetuators of the existing culture that has built up over 20 odd years of, of the festival happening um, and perpetuating that and, you know, being, being, yeah, being there for the people. Uh, so I kept running that. I basically did it for a couple of years. Um, and at a certain point I realized like, I want to run this team. I don't just want to be a ambassador. I want to like see what magic I can accomplish if I have 60 ambassadors under me. And, you know, imagine the positive ripples that we could, we can make if I'm giving them tools to, you know, to be better ambassadors and training them to you know, really engage and, uh, and, and step into that where our, 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 our initial person who started it was amazing and inspiring. Uh, but he stepped away and someone else stepped in and no shade to her either, but it, it just, it, there were big shoes to fill and I felt she didn't step into them where it was, um, I, I, I was so ready to step into those, uh, shoes. So I'm now the ambassador manager of Shambhala, uh, and basically get to teach these people and empower them with the tools to be able to go and brighten people's days and, um, deal with all these sorts of random things of the festival and, yeah, empower the community to take care of itself. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think there's any shade in in saying that like someone doesn't step into the shoes of a role because it like by the sounds of it and everything you've shared, like this was something that was really a great position designed for someone like yourself, you know. And I think sometimes people end up into these leadership positions or these um, certain positions that really isn't their calling, and it's almost out of a necessity or out of time. And you know, I think. It's like when you find something that you want to do with passion and you have purpose in there, your, your, your potential is exponential. Like it's, it's beyond what you even know you can do, you know? Um, whereas if someone's kind of like, well, you know, um, I'll do it. It's, it's maybe not necessarily coming from that, that place, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to kill it somewhere else. It's kind of like one of those things is like, sometimes um, that's why I always kind of encourage people like you need to step up into your thing because someone might be doing them or you're better than them, but actually by filling in that area where no one's filling in, you're actually allowing them to kind of see like, Hey, I actually want to go over here. Mm -hmm. Cause sometimes people just are picking up the slack, you know what I mean? Like, which is a different, I don't know, position on something. Right. But Anyway, yeah. I, I don't know this person. I'm not saying anything bad. I'm just saying like, it sounds like this was something for you where, you know, had it not been this, something like this, it's just like, you're on purpose, you're choosing things out of your values. And I think that's why you naturally will end up somewhere like that. It was, it was, it's, it was a dream job and definitely the perfect job for me. And, uh, you know, I, I'm with all my business stuff, I'm great at the administration side of things. I've also written, um, a volunteer committee for like 11 years of the Vancouver folk music festival as well. 
Uh, so I've had a lot of experience doing that first and then stepping into this role. But I think the main difference is, you know, she was an amazing team leader. But I think the best thing I think about leaders is the type of leaders who are out there doing the work, you know, where they're out there working side by side with the other people. And obviously they can't do it all the time, but going out there and actually, you know, being a role model for the role models, you know, like this is this is how, you know, watch me do it and do it your own way. But at the same time, just like try and absorb what you can from me and try and uh, try and like, you know, just just engage this way, you know, or engage whatever way you want at the end of the day, but just try and try and step into it a bit more and, and give them, give them an actual physical, you know, example of how to do it. Totally agree. All right. I've got another direction for us to go or Thank something you, that I'm curious, something <laughs> that I'm curious about here. Um, you know, and I think that you've already touched on it a little bit, Gabriel, but maybe it's just a matter of of diving in, in into it a little bit more deeply. But it seems like you have, for quite some time, had a sense of of clarity in what you're doing. Um, and, you know, perhaps that was from that sort of 10 year in working, you know, in, in development for someone that you, you know, you didn't agree with what they were doing. But it seems like there's maybe a few moving factors here. I guess what I'm curious about is, has, am, am I right in that you've had a certain kind of focus, clarity, um, maybe I, I hesitate to use the word certainty, but, you know, perhaps we can incorporate that loosely, but has that like really always been there or are there, have there been moments where it's just like really been like, I'm not where, where you've hit maybe some disillusionment in, in everything that you've been pursuing and, and how you've been directing yourself. Yeah. At least in small parts, there's definitely been times where I doubt myself as we all do. Um, you know, but I'd say from from the age of, you know, 24 on, I've been pretty, pretty clear on, you know, I'm, I'm doing my thing and this feels right. Um, I definitely had a some pretty strong moments of disillusionment when me and my, uh, my child's mother broke up uh, about two years ago. And, you know, since that time, there's been lots of moments where yeah, let's just say that, you know, she, I've, I felt like doubting myself based off conversations with her. And I'm thinking that's about as far as I'm going to get into this, you know, just in case she, for whatever reason, listens to this podcast at some point. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, moments to doubt myself, but luckily I have some amazing friends uh, who, when I reach out, just like remind me, like, don't even listen to that, you know, just like you're an amazing human being, you know, and just, just keep doing your thing. Um, and, it, the more I lean into that and the more I, I lean into uh, lean into and give the way I have been giving, the more I find the world kind of gives back. Um, and it's it's kind of led to like the pricing model thing that I was taught that you uh, you introduced me on with my my company. This is like a recent thing. Um, the more I've been giving, you know freely of my time, um, the more opportunities have been coming back at me and and giving me, you know, success or you know at least monetary success uh or more monetary success than i was having before uh, through my business and so I'm, I'm i'm a firm believer in that you know just 
giving. And so, yes, roundabout way of answering your question in small, in small moments, I have had moments of doubt and haven't been as clear, but I'd say for the majority I I have, I feel, I feel confident in my sense of self and uh, who I am as a person and the impact I'm having on the world, even if it's just a small part and, you know, those, those ripples, any positive action you take causes ripples. So, and just like any negative action causes ripples and the positive ripples are so impactful, just like the negative ones. So why not just make all your actions as positive as possible? Uh, you know, without just ignoring the bad stuff, obviously, but doing what you can and, and putting more ripples out that, that, that way that hopefully can cause more ripples. And yeah, then you've got a nice ripply, beautiful bond. Your own little wave pool. Oh, mm. um, all I right. Like that analogy. <laughs> I got a, I got a direction. I want to kind of push this into, um, uh, like I, I, I love somebody to get into D and D they're like, you'd love it. You know, you're always so like creating stories out of, you know, um, so what, so you're, it's, this is kind of, I guess, an interest and a hobby, maybe a passion that you kind of have, um, that's like something not related necessarily to work. Right. Um, is yeah, that right? Definitely yeah. not related to work. Okay. So what, what, like, is it like a, is that like a position, like to be like the storyteller, like the person who kind of creates the stage for everyone? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 more a role that you like. Imagine if you're playing a board game. You know, one person's the banker, you know, and one person's this. It's it's like that, except you're you're taking on a really big role. Like you're okay. basically you're telling the story for everyone, and then you're telling them what's happening around them. You know, just imagine if all three of us were currently talking, and I tell you that you're you're exploring a vast desert and you've been exploring for days. Um, your your characters feel dehydrated. You know, this and that and then I say that you see, you know, this, this canyon to the left that looks like it definitely has shade and maybe the hint of water. And then to the right, you see this old town that looks kind of deserted. What do you want to do in that situation? You know, and, and as the players, you can either sometimes people play as themselves. Sometimes people kind of step into imaginary roles or amplified roles or, you know, play a, a dwarf or a, a, a hobbit or, you know, an elf or something like that, whatever you want. Um, and and play it however you want. Be a, be an asshole character if you want. Um, be a nice guy. Be a drunk. Um, and then just commit to playing that and commit to you know acting throughout the story and engaging with the story, you know, in that character. And that kind of makes the fun. So the 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 DM or game master, dungeon master, is there to just set the stage, and then have exciting things happen. You know, if they go and interact with this abandoned town maybe they're going to get attacked by something or maybe this starving person is going to come out and give them a bunch of gold or whatever right it's you you can set the stuff up ahead of time or you can just kind of improvise on the spot um and yeah that's it's it's a lot of fun just you know using your imagination to come up with stuff both as players but as, as the storyteller as well and together you make a story you know, even as the storyteller, you, you're not going to define how the story is going to end because you try and set them down this path to fighting this bad guy. And next thing you know, they're off like, oh, we're going to stack gold in this pub or something like that, you know, or we're going to have a fight with, with these tiny little chickens and just beat chickens to death. And that's what they do for the entire campaign. And you're like, well, OK, I guess it's your story. <laughs> <laughs> so so to, to, if I can get this right, because um, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of people who don't know who are like me. Um, but everybody basically has a character. They have one character. Yeah. And then the dungeon master creates the stage 
for those characters. And those characters are given choices by the dungeon master. And then the, based on the choices they make will dictate how you'll continue to set the stage and how things will evolve. Totally, it's, exactly. Okay, cool. Then there's like dice rolls that like, you know, say you want to try and jump really high or something like that, do a big jump. You you would check your character stats and, you know, you'd add your character stats to a dice roll. And if it goes over a certain, you know, uh, criteria, like then you would you would successfully do it. If you roll a one, you know, it's called a critical fail. If you roll a, a 20 on a D20, a 20 sided dice, then that's a critical success. So critical fail, you're probably going to get hurt while you do the thing. Like you tried to jump all you sprained your ankle, right? Because you critically failed or you fell on your sword. And the critical success is like, yeah, you jumped and you jumped so far that you like scared away the bad guy on the other side that you were about to fight, you know, right? that sort of thing. Okay. One more follow-up question. Yep. Um, so, well, two actually, technically, so you get hurt in this game, your character does, right? Yep. Then they continue to be hurt throughout the game, right? So that has an impact. Yeah. And there's, you can take like rests. I mean, there's, there's D and D, which is like the classic role-playing game, Dungeons and Dragons. And then there's so many different other role-playing games and they all have different mechanics based on how that works. You know, in D and D specifically, you would get like, you'd be able to take a, a short rest and, you know, you'd be able to take a long rest. If you take maybe three long rests, maybe your, your sprained ankle would get better or something like that. Or maybe you went to like see a healer or someone like was a healer in the party. Someone was a magician or something. Uh, so there's different ways to like get things done, you know, just interacting with the environment, resting, uh, using magic um, items, that sort of thing. Okay. And here's, here's my other question. Um, how, how as a dungeon master, right? DM, uh, how do you make a choice? Like, how do you decide, oh, well, I'm going to create this scenario or do that. Like, how does that work for you? I'm kind of interested. I mean, I haven't made too many worlds. Uh, I've done some like one shots where I just came up with a random idea and didn't really have much more of a plan than like, this is the setting, this is what's going on. Uh, but I created this one world that was based off a, a Catterday crew party from back in the day. We had this like journey to Eden prime, like alien world themed you know, electronic interactive themed theatrical rave. Uh, and then the storyline that started that, I ended up just kind of expanding on it because I thought it was a really cool storyline and started adding in like, all right, these are the these are the factions on this one world. And this is the like companies that are trying to exploit it. And this is, you know, the tribes that live here and this is how they act. And then you just kind of drop people in and you give them like a rough goal just through circumstances. And then they kind of go through and, and try and figure it out. But yeah, it's 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 all just, you know, how much time and energy you want to put into it. Um, I know people like the person who got me into D&D, he just sits and creates worlds so, for people to play in. And he just loves to do that and just come up with ideas and then take the notes down on how everything's going to work and, you know, get a nice solid foundation. I've only got one solid foundation that I've built and everything else has been cool let's just make up some shit and see what happens shits and giggles that's fun yeah all right i have a new a new tack to take this conversation's been going really interestingly because it's <laughs> like sometimes it's just like it's like one thing just sort of flows into the next and this one this one feels like it's like it's like it's kind of like bouncing it's like boom 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 it's good we i'm wanted, not we want to cover a lot of things it's we wanted to take yeah it, you know yeah <laughs> it's fun it's i'm enjoying it um so switching the tack on this um i want to talk a little bit more in depth about um how 
your how you've come to this thing of how you price your services and your business that you that you offer to people um the 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 level of trust that i'm sure that takes to do um because that it's such a i mean let's we'll maybe get a little bit more into how you're how you're doing that but from what i understand i just go you know, it's one thing to say that you're going to do that, and it's another thing to go ahead and and do it in in earnest. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about about that and making that decision and and the, yeah. the challenges that have have come and and what's happened? For sure. So um, the first thing I'll say is is kind of my inspiration for for this idea. Um, have you heard of the gift economy? I've heard of the gift economy, okay. but I I'll, I'll just kind of briefly that... overview. So I, I went to Burning Man, but the gift economy goes long before Burning Man. The gift economy was what traditional human civilizations were were built upon, right? You have your village of people, and people see that the one guy who's like making the bread, he's he's making bread. He's always making bread. He's feeding people. He's making bread, and people value him because of that, uh, and so they, you know they give back to them when they, when they have, you know, some fish, maybe the fish guy is like, all right, well, red guys always give me bread. I'm, I'm going to give them some fish. You know, there wasn't money. It wasn't money around like before currency, the gift economy was what, you know, civilizations and small groups of humans lift off of. Um, so the gift economy at Burning Man was, you know, people bring what they can. Um, and then you share, you know, with others and you gift, gift to others and you don't need to just, you know, People don't come up to you and be like, hey, give me this, and you give it to them. It's more like you you share what you want to share, right? You can bring things, you bring things for yourself to rely on yourself, but then you also bring things to, to gift, whether it be an experience, whether it be a service, you know, like a massage or, you know, uh, Dr. Bronner's camp created a whole like shower zone, which in the middle of the Nevada desert was like gold. And they had like a dance party shower thing and people just got naked and then They'd spray them down with the Dr. Bronner soap and have this like crazy rave happening while people are getting clean. Um, and that, that was just experience they offered. And then there's people that like set up full, um, full parties with free booze, you know, and the gifting away booze and having all the DJs playing for free and everything, everything within Burning Man is free. You can just walk up to it, but then people are going above and beyond that and, you know, adding their own experiences, gifting that like there was a grilled cheese cart. Anyways, I'm getting I'm getting sidetracked, but like <laughs> that that that's the inspiration for me. Um, which after going to Burning Man in 2014, I started following the work, or restarted following the work of Charles Eisenstein, um, and he's a like thought leader um, that's just a will, really well informed, informed, calm gentleman uh, who's who does a lot of research on things. Um, and, and he wrote about the gift economy and how he was planning to practice it with his latest book. He was going to release a book and people pay what they want. You know, it's totally up to them. And you, you see that now it's, it's beyond that. It, it exists in, in, on the internet, right? Like pay what you want to, to view this newspaper article, pay what you want for this like band camp, uh, you know, piece of music or something like that. Um, and so, people are doing that and, and with non-tangible goods especially like online goods it makes a lot of sense right and for me my services sure it takes time for me to do things but i'm not actually like 
paying paying to get those that time realistically at this point. Um, I'm taking on some employees and contractors, so there's like those expenses. But uh, what what inspired me to take the leap? You know, four years after uh, or four or five years after listening to Charles Eisenstein and reading about the gift economy um, was getting to a point with my business where I felt like I was covering my expenses and having a little bit extra on the top. And then that's the point where I was like, okay, well, I've covered that and I'm not using all my time. This is why I started my company. I wanted to help people. So at that point, I decided that I was going to work with people regardless of budget. Um, and if they didn't have any budget, then I would step into the role of teacher and they would be a student and I would give them lots of homework and they'd build their website themselves, you know, using a, a site like Squarespace. And I would engage them on how to do that um, and take those initial steps and then give them su suggestions on marketing and how to get, you know, eyes to the website and then suggestions on social media. A lot of the time, just giving them links, but also just giving them the right links so that they're, they're going down the right path and learning the right things. Um, and so after, after doing that, I realized that I wanted to step more into this. I wanted to, uh, you know, I wasn't going to overwrite all my old clients, all the clients that I'd already gotten, but continue to service those clients at the rates that I'd set, uh, cover my expenses. And then all new clients, I decided probably about two months ago, uh, they're going to get this new rate um, of 50 to $125 an hour. Uh, and they get to choose what they pay me uh, at the end of the project. And, and rather than taking deposits, uh, I'm, I'm not taking deposits unless it's a project that's over like $5,000. Um, you know, I just want to want to trust. And, and the beautiful thing that's happened since that is, first off, people have really resonated with it and getting a lot more clients. Um, and the other beautiful thing is that people are choosing to pay the higher rate the majority of the time, which is really cool because... Before that, my rate was at 95 an hour. And so I just kind of bumped it up a little bit to just offset offset that a little bit. Um, and yeah, people have, have stepped into it. They're obviously you know impressed with the work that I'm doing, impressed with the quality of the work. And the best thing about this is rather than worrying about, you know, oh, worrying about not having enough time to do the best job, I want to get that higher rate or ideally get that higher rate. So I'm putting in my best effort on every single project. I'm putting in the, the proper time to make sure they're properly set up and trained and understand how things are going so that they can continue to operate and, and grow the business and hopefully come back and, and use my services some more. Um, you know, but at the same time, it's, it's giving them the best bang for their buck. And if they have a low budget, that's fine. They can pay the lower rate. You know, if they only have a set budget, that's great because it removes the barriers to to working with someone like myself, where there's a lot of companies out there that charge, you know, I thought I was being expensive at $95 an hour, but there's companies out there that are charging 150 as like a, the minimum, you know, to work with someone of my caliber, maybe, maybe even more $200 an hour. And it just goes up and up from there. Um, and so I, I, I felt myself, you know, raising my rates, raising my rates for the last couple of years. And it, it felt, like I was blocking myself off from working with the clients that I wanted to work with. I wanted to work with the small businesses, the local businesses, the not-for-profits. Um, and so I changed my rates and my pricing model to allow for that to happen after I had the like basic expenses covered. I think wow. it's cool that, you know, you're willing to confront some of the paradigms of how we do, you know, how we do life right now, because I think there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of stuff 
with just the way we work together in our economy, right? It's um, very impersonal in, in a lot of cases. Um, and there is like, like the, the, the reason why we do a job has, I think, well, this is my opinion, I suppose, but it's changed. You know, it's like people are doing a job to make money to survive as opposed to like, I, I'm doing something because I have a service to provide. I, I have, I see something that I can fill something I can do. I'm, I'm good here. You know? Um, and I think on people who like really hate their jobs, it's because you're not doing the job because you actually feel like you're, you take pride in it. You're doing it because, you know, you feel like you have to do it or totally, you know what I mean? And like uh, one of the things that I kind of would imagine at least, I mean, maybe I'm, assuming, but it sounds like you're kind of breaking against that paradigm because you're going, okay, I'm not going to do this because I have to, like I do it because I want to. And through that, it, it enhances your pride in your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say a hundred percent. And you also talked about uh, earlier trust. Um, and I think that's, that's a big part for me as well as I'm, I'm giving trust uh, to them, which hopefully allows them to give trust to me as well. Right like, oh, okay, he's offering this to me. Uh, why? Is this some sort of scam? Or like, that's just the, the usual paradigm. And it's like, no, no, I'm trusting you that you're going to do what you know, the best that you can because I'm a fellow human being. And, um, and, and, and I'm being vulnerable. I'm stepping into that vulnerable space, which loops back into the whole like Shambhala temporary community, you know, ideas, you know, being stepping into that vulnerable state to hopefully be reminded of the, you know, the thing that, that, resonates in all of us, which is that pure human connection, that respect for, for your fellow human being and that love for your fellow human being, uh, you know, cause we're at our best when we're, we're as a group, right? Like, um, so yeah, the, the trust and also opening it up for them to step into generosity, you know, if, uh, you're giving them that opportunity, you know, they, they could, they could be as cheap as possible if they were the type of person like, Oh man, he's going to do it for $50 an hour. Like, Oh, I'm totally well, just choose $50 an hour, you know? And at that point, I can almost like get an idea for the values there. And if, if the person isn't the right fit, maybe I don't want to work with them for a long period of time, you know? So if, if they're only going to pay me $50 an hour and if they feel like they're not respecting my time and, um, you know, I, I can make that choice. And that's the beautiful thing about running your own business. You get to choose who you work with. And at the end of that, I, I love my job. I love what I do. And I love working with the people that I, that I work with. Uh, and I don't want to detract from that life. I don't want to not enjoy my life. So I'm, I'm going to continue to do that. I'm going to continue to work with people that I enjoy working with because it's my job and it's my life. And why not live the best life you can? It's interesting yeah. to me because, you you know, you kind of talked about vulnerability being kind of the key for you in a lot of ways, right? And vulnerability requires trust and they're so symbiotic. Like if if, if you don't have one, then you, you can't have the other. Like, you, you, if you're going to be vulnerable, you have to have some sense of trust. And I think like there are going to be those people that are going to come along. They're going to take advantage of you. But when you build your life with a certain sense of community and connection and trust, um, like if you're at a festival, for example, and someone comes along and they're abusing the group, the group will be like, this person's out. Like you, mm-hmm. you kind of, and you know, as a member of your now found family, that if you don't treat them with respect and trust and care, 
that unless you are inherently a destructive group and you're surviving on destructive principles, if that's even possible, um, you know you won't kind of stay. So it's like it's 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 very community tribal in a sense, which I think is like honestly, I think that's what people long for these days, you know, especially now, especially with COVID and all the stuff that's occurred. It's like we want connection. We like there's so much mistrust going on. There's so much of this stuff. And it just makes us feel more and more excluded. And we aren't willing to share our vulnerabilities with each other because it seems scary. We don't think others will understand, but like you're creating a you're creating an environment of trust. It's actually very interesting how you found this through kind of that festival world. You know, it's like it's all nicely tied together, tethered together in this these these principles kind of follow through all this stuff, like Evan was asking in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the other thing to 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 mention is, you know, uh, being vulnerable is great, but you also need to have boundaries, right? Like just just like with anything, you need to have your boundaries. And uh, I, for a long time, I had my boundaries, but I was also one of those people that said yes to everything. You know, people would ask me to do something like, yeah, sure, totally, totally, let's do it. You know, no matter what it was, just you just say yes to it. And then kind of defining your boundaries and being able to be like, you know what, like this this doesn't feel right. Or, you know, you have those initial calls and, you know, it's, it's not, it's not feeling right. There's something, something off here. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to reserve my right to, to, to not continue on this or, you know, to, to, to back out of this particular project. And, you know, you just listen, listen to your intuition on those ones and, 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 you know, have your boundaries set in place. So, you know, that in, in setting, setting my flexible pricing model, there's boundaries in that as well, right? Like I could just say, flexible pricing model, you pay what you want. And then someone decides to pay me $5 an hour. I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm going to set a boundary of at least like $50 an hour. Cause you know, I have rent to pay too, you know what I mean? And, and there's, there's, there's limitations to that. There's, there's boundaries that I, I have to set. Um, and, and hopefully I get to this point where I, I don't need to do it. And I mean, I, I kind of am by helping out these people who don't have any budgets. Uh, but there's like a big gap between not having any budget and having a little budget. Cause I can do a lot with a little budget and I can teach you a lot with no budget. Um, but the, with no budget, there's the limit to the amount of time that I can spend with you as well per month or something. Right. I'm not just going to, okay, cool. You're my, you're my student. Now I'm teaching you stuff and you just have unlimited access to me. It's like, no, 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 no. Like maybe, maybe an hour a month and maybe like half an hour a month or something like that, you know? not not just going to give of my time unlimitedly because how am I supposed to do my other work on top of that if I'm just constantly taking on unlimited clients at no budget right that's great yeah it's um it's it's interesting and I was really curious about this because you know it's something that I've thought about doing something like that um and and with with certain sides of my own interests and passions and, and, and business as well. Um, and I think it's, it's quite something to, to kind of do what you're doing because I mean, I've been, I've sat in sort of like business courses and had like business teachers and stuff like that, you know, as, as you do when you're an entrepreneur learning how to, how to do, how to do this thing called business and having so many people say to myself and to my wife as well, you know, saying like, no, 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 you can't price that low. 
you have to price this because you you want it like the whole thing was always like you want the big clients so like you want like like it was always about like getting people who had tons and tons of money as like your primary clientele and for both myself and my wife we were just like well that's great and all but what about like 95 98 99 percent of the rest of the population who needs help you know in in or, or who could use the services that we're doing like do we just completely say kind of like screw you to these people like what are we ultimately trying to achieve with what we're doing is the point to become you know these big you know make tons and tons of money and financial success not there's anything wrong with money but is that really like what the goal of of our business is is that really what the goal of business is and that you're actually you know implementing something you know it's it speaks to the fact that i think that you have something else that's driving that's driving your business and I'm, I want to turn it over to you quickly, but something, you know, when I was sort of snooping on your on your website, <laughs> one of the things that I saw was, you know, you had these three three P's, which was people, planet, profits. Mm-hmm. So like profits isn't outside of the equation, but it's not the first part of the equation. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because have you ever heard of B corporations? The benefit corporations? Uh, yes. Okay. I, I I have heard, yes, the expression before. Yeah. Uh, so uh, B Corporation was um, something that I, I worked at a B Corporation for a while, uh, well running my business at the same time. I worked for a B Corporation in Vancouver that was a digital marketing agency that was a B Corp. Uh, and B Corps uh, have that like people, planet and profit. So I didn't, I didn't make that up myself. People, planet and profit on equal footing is like, is part of the B Corp, you know, uh, mantra or whatever. And the B Corps, um, are there to, to change business. And I, I'd love to have more B Corp clients, honestly. Um, in fact, this beer that I'm drinking is from a B Corp, a local B Corp here on the sunshine coast. And I found out about them before I even moved here. Uh, they did like a presentation at a B Corp thing, but B Corps, they have like a corporate statute included in their, um, or a corporate ad- ad- amendment in their corporate statute that makes it so that, uh, the CEO, can't be voted out by shareholders for trying to take care of people and planet. It, it basically enshrines people, planet and profit on the same level of like responsibility for, for to the shareholders. So the company's responsible for all three of those things, not just e- exceeding unlimited profit forever and ever and ever. Whereas like a lot of the times in current corporations, if a CEO decides to have a conscience and tries to make a change for the positive, all of a sudden the shareholders will vote them out because well, you're sacrificing X amount of profit so that you can do this extra thing. And no, that's, that's, you're cutting into our profit margins. We want more profit. Um, and unfortunately that's just like the truth of, of corporations at this point. So anything that's like something outside of that, a different model and then helping to change that. And like you said, change the paradigm uh, of business and, you know, sure it might be, uh, reinforcing capitalism, you know, but it, it's at least trying to make capitalism a little bit better in the interim uh, in, until who knows what happens next, right? Um, anyways. Well, capitalism, I mean, capitalism is an experiment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, people forget that, you know, and it doesn't mean that we've dialed it in and we have it right, yet, you know, it, and it's, 
like uh, one thing I've heard this expression said was that all of these things in theory are awesome. Like even communism, you know, they're all awesome in theory, but when malpracticed, they become problematic and we run into problems with them. Right. But in essence, the idea that we're trying to create with whatever we're trying to do has good things in it. And I think um, something you're bringing up, which is kind of interesting is like, that is a part of the problem with capitalism right now is that it is driven by money as the only, not just the most important, but the only thing for a lot of big companies. And so because of that, um, you know, it's about getting the quarter, you know, it's not about the long-term picture. And we're not just seeing that in corporations, we're seeing that in politics, you mm -hmm. know, it's for the term, it's for the time I'm in office and I need this to look good as opposed to like, we should be looking, um, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road and be like, we're going to, we're going to struggle a little bit right now, but what we're doing right now is really good. And like, when I hear about your business model, it's kind of like that. It's, it's a long-term plan that has a monumental benefit that can occur down the road. And right now by changing the, um, what's the word, like the psychology of it, I, it's not the word I wanted, but essentially by altering that you're getting yourself away from the immediate um, trappings of capitalism, which is I need to make money now. I got to survive. If I don't do it now, it's a scarcity mindset of like money now and everything else can wait because once I get the money, <laughs> I'm good. And we all know that that isn't true. You know, like we all have enough data that money um, it's, it, it's important. It helps in certain ways, at least in a capitalist economy, but it also stops people from pursuing their creative endeavors. It stops people from pursuing their dreams. It makes people do jobs they hate. It makes people make decisions that are poor decisions in regards to their relationships, people. Um, it has all these negative effects, but we're taught in some ways or almost it's pushed on us that, yeah, but you get the money. <laughs> it's yeah, like, I mean, take, take this job, even though you don't love it. You yeah. know, like how many parents are telling their kids to go be a doctor? And it's not, not because, you, oh, wow, you really like caring for people. It's like, oh, yeah, go be a doctor because you're going to make a whole shitload of money or go be right. a lawyer because you're going to make a whole shitload of money. And With I'm sure there's security. exceptions to that. Yeah, security. You, you want that security. Uh, but I think you brought up a, a good a good point there is the, the scarcity scarcity mindset, right? Which... Honestly, especially in today's time, it's really easy to get caught into that. You know, it's 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 another aspect of fear, and you know, there's so many people that are living check to check, and um, so. But even having that mindset of not thinking about scarcity and instead thinking about you know plenty, um, and you know, just just trusting that there's going to be there, and just just keep doing your work. And, but, but at the same time, you still have to be mindful of, you know, your bottom line and whatnot. You can't just like ignore money and like, oh yeah, the universe will bring it to me. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But you know, like you, you do the work, but at the same time, you also just open yourself up to the possibility. And I'm not one of those envision types and, you know, the secret and you just, if you manifest it just by thinking about it, you know, you, you sure you think about things and the more you think about things, the more actions come out of those thoughts. And, you know, the more, more, the more words and the more actions come out of those thoughts. And hopefully if you're continuing those thoughts in that same positive direction, you can get some progress, right. With baby steps, you can, uh, you can get a lot done. Yeah. And like, so maybe you can kind of uh, help, help, help us understand here. How do you take this concept, right? Like something that's maybe more progressive, more, uh, I don't know, 
risky, quote unquote. And, you know, you mentioned boundaries, right? Like, how do you take this and not make it woo woo? Because like, I think that's part of the problem. People hear that, oh, you got to trust. Oh, yeah, the universe, blah, blah, blah. And there is a certain part of that, but you're not giving it all up. You're not just sitting in your house wishing one day the world will be perfect. You're, 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 you're taking actions, you're contributing, and you mentioned you're drawing boundaries. So how do you manage kind of a woo-woo concept in a practical way? Uh, I'm, I'm a really, like, I've known this about myself, but I, I'm a really good at meeting people where they're at. Um, so when discussing woo-woo concepts, I tend to come at it from a very, like, matter-of-fact, scientific angle and and just try and you know yeah here's here's the studies that are behind this that show that this type of thing is rather than being like oh yeah you just got to manifest it it's like here's the studies that you you should that show the, the more positive intention by like psych- by leading psychologists that show that the more positive intention and time you put envisioning what you want to do and what you want to do with your goals then the more likely that's going to happen in fact like a huge percentages goes to show i've got this like a uh, this new map uh which you know, on the on the, the trip of self improvement, which I've been on for the last year or so, uh, it's got amazing suggestions on that. It's built by like leading psych therapists and psychologists, and it, it just it it constantly drives these things into you. And I've definitely noticed a huge improvement on on a bunch of different factors from just writing things down, from just thinking about things, and then writing it down, and then being mindful of your actions as you proceed forward. And so, yeah, it's it's using data using science you know and and some people won't won't listen to that but the majority of people will you know and if people won't listen to that and and they're in the you know the non-science faction then then you get more into the woo-woo and be like yeah you just gotta manifest it man and that that just just trust in the universe and you you meet people where they're at you know some people are are more on that side and i i've uh I've, i've always been more on the science minded you know a lot of people would come up and be like hugs are just so good and i'm like but really, really, but why? That's I've got a lot of experience of dealing out the woo-woo in like free hugs, uh, and then having people come up to me and be like, "Well, so you are you just like a pervert or something? Do you just want to like hug hug people like and just hug girls and I'm like, no? But here, would, would you like to listen and hear my story and like let's let's talk about this and you know, just. And, and I've had some amazing conversations from that. And, and you would not believe how many times that question comes up. And I, I understand it. I totally understand it. But uh, it's, it's trying to integrate more hugs into society is beneficial to all society because the more you're hugging your family, your loved ones, the more connection opportunities for connection you're creating, the more you hug strangers, the more you're creating opportunities for connection with strangers and also recognizing in that fellow human, you know, Hey, we're, we're just, we're just humans. And we're just, we're, we're here supporting each other in this moment. And, uh, it's also, um, kind of breaking away from the like hetero heterosexual, like scaredness of, of guys, of just, you know, being intimate with other guys or just hugging them or touching them, you know, like it's just the fist, fist bump. That's all you get as a, as a guy, maybe you get like a, one of these and, you know, slap on the back. Uh, you know, a brief second of contact because you're worried about being thought of as as gay. And I'm not saying that a lot of people do that, but this I've I've seen just giant amounts of it. Um, and so we we tried to combat that. And I feel like I veered off like 180 degrees from your question. But what are you, you going to do? <laughs> That's Sorry. all right. I'm I'm sitting in the sun here, and it's just starting to bake me more and more. 
<laughs> well, well, let's uh, let's maybe. Well, I was going to say while we're while we're chatting here, if we, if you want, go ahead, close your blinds. I mean, we can we can oh, yeah. kind of you know throw this. We can kind of throw a couple ideas back and forth if you, if you want to. No, it's all good. Uh, I, I, that that would be assuming that I have blinds to close in this okay. office. So yeah, no, we're we're just gonna skip past that part. And, right, uh, no problem. I'll be fine. You know, you might just get some beer off sentences. No worries. Well, let's. I was gonna gonna ask you. So you're you're having a a, a craft beer right now uh, that yes, you sir. said is from B Corp from the Sunshine Coast, as mm-hmm. I understand. So what are you uh, mm-hmm. what are you having to drink for this conversation? So this is a Persephone Pale Ale. Persephone is a is a local brewery here on the Sunshine Coast, and they're a B Corp and just a staple in the community. They run the Gibson's Farmers Market out of their like property. They allow all this beautiful outdoor space for people to go and drink. Kid friendly, family friendly. They support the local animal shelter. They support the local homeless population. They run like community supported agriculture programs and sell eggs and and just they're, they're supporting everything on the coast. Uh, when when the pandemic hit, and I I don't work for Persephone, mind you, I'm not just doing an advertisement for them. But when the pandemic hit, they offered free grocery delivery to locals. Like they they used their company car, picked up groceries from IGA, and drove it to people's houses um, at no cost. And you know eventually they started to charge, but that's that's just like beautiful, beautiful business right there. That's something that, you know, I, I want them to be my customers forever. I offered to do free work for them right up at that point, And I will continue to do it because yeah, they're an amazing organization, but the beer is also delicious too. That it is that it is. Um, myself, I am, uh, I'm just drinking a Northwest pale ale from uh, Whistler Brewing Co. Yeah. So nice. it's been good. It's been good <laughs> for the conversation. How do you follow that Persephone? I know. <laughs> you know I, I know. Mean? I was just like, oh, I don't know what to say after that. I've got no I've got no story about them. <laughs> I should have let you guys go first. first. <laughs> yeah. oh, that was awesome. No, it is it, they're a great, they're a great brewery. And I can attest to that. I have visited and plan to come back. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Well, I'm just having, I'm actually just having for, for one of the very, very rare occasions. So, you know, I'm just having water today. Um, mostly because I drank all my beer and I didn't have time to get any more. So, yeah. So there you go. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's one of the rare times that I have not had beer on the podcast, but you know, I'm getting hydrated. So, you know, maybe we'll balance it out every now and then (laughs) drink your water. (laughs) Are you going to speak on the benefits of hydration and proper hydration? Maybe tell a little story there. Or, or <laughs> well, I went to my tap and I turned it on. You can, <laughs> made it you real can, cold. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Could and then what happened? Water. And then and then it went into this glass. Whoa. And I picked it up, poured it in my mouth. Incredible. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Beautiful story. Yeah. Wonderfully told. For millions, yeah, yeah, for for millions, millions of, years. of years, water has been there for us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> giving us life. All right, water, you win. <laughs> um Brandon, do you got any uh any any things, any threads that you want to pull on? Or uh or should we start asking uh Gabriel's the uh the the customary questions for our guests? I think it's question time, Evan. All right, then let's let's question time. Shall I shall I get the ball rolling? Or yeah, should... you you started off. All right, 
Are you ready, Gabriel? Um, I think so. All right. Question number one of seven. What is the most important book you've ever read? Ooh. Important to me. I'm going to say important to me personally, and I'm going to say an inconvenient truth. Uh, that, that was that was a big, big moment for me. And, and then, yeah, let's just leave it at that one. There was a lot of other books post following that, but it, it opened the door to, to, to me wanting to learn more about the world and how it worked in, in a lot of different ways. So I'd say that one. Awesome. What film has the greatest, or what film has had the greatest impact on you? Um, Robin Hood with Robin Williams. Wait, no, not Robin Hood. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, Peter Pan. Hook. There's another another op- opportunity of there we being go. In the sun. Okay. Peter like, Pan with Robin that. Williams. Jesus. The, yeah, Hook. Right. Yeah, Hook. Yeah. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman as oh my god as Hook, which is yeah. like that always blows my mind because it's like you can't even recognize that that's Dustin Hoffman in that one. What a great Robin choice, Hood. Robin Hood. Yeah, you gotta love that. Yeah, I was like, you mean Robin Hood. Hood with Kevin Costner from back? That's in a the great day? movie too. Yeah. I've watched that one so many times. It's brutal for like a movie that I watched when I was ten years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but no, Hook is uh, definitely that's a that's a childhood favorite for me as mm-hmm. well. I still, I think I've watched it like just as recently as last year. So holds up. Yeah, Mm. for sure. It's a a long movie too. I was like, oh my God, this movie's like for, for like kind of a movie that was like for, you know, for like the, the, the kids and the kids at heart. And I'm like, this is like, it's over two hours long. Yeah. I want to also say close second, which is another Robin Williams movie is uh, what dreams may come. Mm. Mm. You haven't seen that one. That one's just a wonderful one about death. Yeah. 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 I haven't seen that one in a long time, but it's uh, maybe time to rewatch. All right. Next question. What is a song or album that takes you somewhere? Um, I'm going to say a mix, a specific like DJ mix. Uh, it's the Sticky Buds. Shambhala set from 2011, which is, I believe, my third year. And anytime I listen to it, I literally feel like I've time traveled back to being at the festival in that moment. Um, and it's a pretty wonderful, wonderful experience. But, you know, I can kind of just drum up anytime I want to just travel back to that third year at Shambhala, which was such a, such a big one for me. Mm. Amazing. Sticky Buds Shambhala set. Is there a place where we can listen to that? Yeah, probably on uh, soundcloud.com slash Sticky Buds uh, or just Google Sticky Buds and uh, 2011 Shambhala and you'll probably find it there. Nice. I will check that one out. Um, okay. Where do you think creativity comes from? Ooh. Oh man, I don't know. That's a tough one. Uh, I want to come up with some sort of like fancy answer here, but I, I want to say your brain, <laughs> uh, just to, to, to get that answered and, and to give me a little bit more time, but I don't know that your subconscious and, and, and interacting with others and your experiences and, 
you know, your, your vibe, what, what appeals to you, you know, like it's, it's a whole bunch of different things. It's like your external stimuli combined with your brain interpreting it. Mm. Let's just say. <laughs> I've roll with that. Okay. Uh, how or where do you find inspiration? Oh man. Through others. Like I'm, I'm the type that my cup gets filled by filling others cups, you know, like, or if you can find a way to fill your own cup and others cups at the same time, that's ideal. And that's where, where I get my inspiration from. We, you see people that are out there doing that or just go out there and do that yourself. Um, and, and seeing the the reactions that people have from doing it, you know, just stepping into the, again, that, that default, you know, natural human state where you're just helping others and, and going above and beyond for your fellow humans. I'm also really inspired by, you know, companies that are just kicking ass and taking names and changing the world, you know, like Kawaki Yerba Mate and True Earth, uh, the like laundry detergent group. Uh, there's just, there's so many good ones out there. And even though I kind of hate Tesla, I do love it as well for the sake mm-hmm. of just, just how they brought, you know, electric cars to the forefront and, and it's now become a thing and other people are emulating them and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of created that momentum to keep going. So I, I like Tesla. I'm just not a huge fan of Elon Musk. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, I, I like that. It's kind of like, um, you know, it makes me think like looking for inspiration, um, how much we can get stuck in our way of thinking and, you know, going out and looking at these businesses that are doing it differently is a good practice or a good way to kind of go like challenge your ideas on what you think works or what you think could be so that's cool um mm-hmm. okay i my question for you is what's one thing you would tell your childhood self oh believe in yourself like just 100 percent. believe in yourself and keep keep doing what you love <laughs> uh sorry i just thought of something uh, I want to say also don't doubt your vibe, which is like an Elon mm. Musk quip. He wrote like an electronic music song called Don't Doubt Your Vibe. And uh, I thought it was hilarious. It's not a very good song, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's it's a good message just in the title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not a crazy fan of him, but that song had something to it. <laughs> and just company. the title. Just the title. Yeah. Literally yeah. just the title. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. All right. And your final question. What is one thing that your future self would tell you now? Hold on. I'm just going to jump in my time machine here and and try and figure that out. Uh, Yeah. Hello. Okay. Um, What would my future self tell me? You're doing a great job. You know, don't. Yeah, I think just, uh, just keep, keep following your path, keep following your heart. Nice. I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to say that's it. It's, a, it's tough. You leave in the tough questions for the end. Yeah. Well, that was it. That was the, that was the last tough question. You'd be surprised. Sometimes people really end up mulling over the first questions about like, I got to pick one book. I got to pick one movie, one song. And people like, well, just <laughs> sometimes those are the ones that stunt people. And it's, uh, you never know. You never totally. know. I mean, in those, those questions, I always just go with like the intuition in the moment. You're like, okay, which thing comes to me first? And hmm. 
you know, because there's tons of other movies now that I think back on it. I'm like, okay, well, what about Fern Gully? That was like a pretty monumental movie in my 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 childhood self. And but but that wasn't what came first. Just thinking of Robin Williams and his impact on my life, and especially in that role, mm. was what came to me first. So, anyways, this this has been really nice. It's nice uh, nice conversing with you both, and uh, yeah, engaging in this conversation. You as well. Hope we haven't been uh, too all over the place to all you listeners out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if, I think any, if anyone's a regular listener to us, they they know that we can we can we dive down some some rabbit holes all the time. So <laughs> awesome. everyone's used to it. Normally, it kind of all makes sense, you know, how the conversation flows from one thing to the next. So at least we that's that's what we hope and trust it to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, keep trusting. You're doing a great job. Thanks. Um, would you, uh, like, is there anything you'd like to just cap things off as far as the conversation that we've had, anything that stood out to you or, or that you would just like to, to leave things? Sometimes we like to just talk, like, you don't have to have anything, but sometimes we're just like, we think back on the conversation. It's like, what's the thing that like we're walking away with in this one? Mm-hmm. And maybe we can give you a, a second to like contemplate it. Cause you're our guest. So we'll let you go last. Brandon, do you, uh, is there, what are you, is there anything that you're walking away with here? Mm, well, okay. One thing is that, you know, just while we were talking about the listeners and kind of how we jump around and we, we you know, we try to find our way through this. Um, I'm always trying to, I'm always trying to, when we have a guest, I'm always trying to dig into someone's story because I feel like there's all these things that stop us from, or that sway us some ways from our path. And I, I hope that, you know, our audience kind of hears that, like you even mentioned it a few times, you know, staying on your path. And that's so much what we try to bring forward with the philosophy of this whole show is like, it's way of the artist. Like there is, it's your way. What That's a discovery. And, but you somehow, you know it, you know? And so um, a couple points that really stood out for me and things that I want to walk away with are one, you made a choice early on out of value. You didn't, you didn't let the threat of security or safety or all that other stuff, like get in the way of that. You put that as a primary and then you, you figured out the rest to work around your value. And I think like, for me, that's something that, you know, I've been reminded of a lot recently. Um, like for example, um, you know, it's not just for work. Like, uh, I've been, you know, people have a bucket list. I call it a lifetime list because I think bucket list means kick the bucket. Like when you're dead, I like to think of it as my lifetime list. Like what's my lifetime going to be. And like a couple of things I just did was like, Oh, I want to learn how to win, you know, windsurf. So I went out and I did it. And then, you know, it's like, I want to shoot off a desert Eagle. I've never done that. <laughs> Evan saw the video. I'm just smiling like a child. You know, I went and did that. Right. And it's these things that I think, you know, sometimes you need to pursue that thing you want to do. And it, it doesn't make sense. It might not lead anywhere, but what I found by doing that is it's invigorated a certain sense of like aliveness in me. Um, so, you know, I hope people walk away with this and go, well, what's going to make you alive, you know? Um, and I think like you, you've shared some other great wisdoms, but I think that those wisdoms came to you by allowing yourself to be alive. And that's, that's what I take from it. Cool. For me, I'm. I think I'm. Uh, I, I'm walking away with something 
more practical and the one thing that I was sort of probing into in this conversation, which is you've given me a lot to think about in terms of, you know, how I, you know, am doing my own business and, and given me, um, inspiration and courage to, to take action on a few things that I've been like a, a little bit hesitant to, to do and, and to open up my, my, what I'm doing in the world, what I'm, you know, my business and, and what I'm trying to, to offer to people, um, opening that up to, to a greater deal of, of trust, showing a greater deal of trust, um, in what I'm doing. And, and, and yeah, I, I think that it's, and taking action on that, not it, not allowing that to be something that's just sort of like an idea, um, anymore and, and something that's, uh, that's, yeah, this is just how, this is just how I do this now. So thank you very much for that. Yeah. Thanks to both of you guys. Um, what am I taking from this? Uh, I'm taking from this that I can go on lots of tangents, um, and just being more mindful of that, uh, as, as I'm answering questions, but I guess tangents are, are part of the fun of life, you know, and, and, and living your life. Um, it's funny, uh, you know, this random story as I, as I go my dad was one of those types of people who just like went on tangents of plenty, you know, he'd, he'd ask him what was a trip to the grocery store and be like, Oh yes, I went there. And then I went and got like broccoli. And then I went and got, you know, this, and then I talked to this lady who was grabbing lettuce and, uh, you know, she was really nice and blah, blah, blah. and then he's like, and then I went to the checkout and, you know, he's like telling every single detail and like veering off and be like, Oh, she had a really cool story about this. And you're like, okay, just get to the point. Like, that was like a lot of my childhood. I'm like, dad, just get to the point. Okay. Like you're annoying people, all this sort of thing. And now I look back and I'm like, no, he's like, he's just a great conversationalist, you know, like, so, so, you know, is, as long as you can respect people uh, and, and their social cues for, for closing, uh, for like in, disengaging from a conversation and that sort of thing, you can just talk at people. That's fine. Uh, you know, you, you're just being yourself, you know, and he was just being himself too. So what I'm taking away from that is just more confidence in stepping into that role and not being worried about going on tangents and, and just, you know, continuing to be mindful of social cues, which is something that I've been mindful of my entire life. And, you know, because my dad was not mindful of it, it's something that I was extremely mindful of. Uh, and so, yeah, just, uh, allowing myself to step into that a little bit more and maybe it'll turn me into my dad when I'm older, but, uh, that's a risk I'm willing to take. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Gabriel. And, um, uh, give a, a give like you've got, uh, where can people find you? Where can okay. people, if they're interested in you, what can they, how do they do that? For sure. So you can find me on Instagram, just at blue Lotus creative or blue Lotus creative.com is the website. Uh, also on Facebook, you just look up blue Lotus creative. Uh, I've said blue Lotus creative four times now. So hopefully that's <laughs> stuck in your head. Um, and yeah, we're here to help anyone. Uh, ideally, like we love, we love helping people local here on the sunshine coast, trying to build up the community since I moved over here four years ago. But uh, anyone in Canada, that's 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 the niche uh, at this point. And if you feel like your value aligned at any point, you know, if you want to try and change the world, whether it be big or small actions and, you know, tiny changes in your industry or whatever, if you're just taking an existing industry and let's say you're a plumber, but you're trying to be a mindful plumber, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to work with you. I'm not going to turn someone away. 
mean, if you are an oil company or a dinosaur, I'm probably going to turn you away, but um, that's, that's just me. Right. And, and, uh, but, uh, but please reach out and I'd be happy to have a conversation with you. We have free consultations and, uh, and yeah, we're, we're here to help and, and share wisdom. Like I love to, uh, to pass information along and, and teach people what I can, uh, even if you don't end up working with me. Thank you so much, Gabriel. Thank you guys. This was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the show. If you got something out of this, if you feel it improved your life or your journey in any way, please take a moment to subscribe, leave a review, or share the episode. You can also support us on Patreon, where we have tons of great bonuses. You are the ones that make the show possible and help us to thrive. Thank you for joining us.